following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcasting Network. For a full list of our shows, as well as breaking sports news and engaging feature stories, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com. Welcome to The Leftovers, brought to you by the Underdog Sports Network, with Josh Dunn, Anshu Khanna, and Dan Bauer. Hello and welcome to The Leftovers. It is Wednesday, October 17th. I'm Josh Dunn. I am so excited to have this crew back together. I've got Anshu Khanna, fresh off of... A trip to Green Bay for Monday Night Football. Anshu, I, I'm sure you feel a lot better than I do after this weekend for multiple reasons. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing well, uh, or as well as I can be physically. Not 100%, but emotionally getting close. Fair enough. Dan Bauer is also here. You guys did an excellent job while I was gone. I was able to get caught up on the shows, so well done, my friends. Dan, how you feeling? Doing well, but I definitely missed you, Josh. Glad to have you back. I've got to hear more about this uh, special someone, by the way. But we'll talk about that <laughs> offline. Um, but let's let's go straight to it, Anshu. I know you were at the game on Monday night. You were able to see a pretty storybook comeback for Aaron Rodgers. Uh, you know, the, the offense couldn't really get things done for a lot of this game. But first, before we talk about the game itself, can you just tell me a little bit about the experience? I know you're a part owner in this Green Bay Packers team, which got you on the field before the game. But just talk a little bit about the experience of being up there for a Monday night game like this and really two teams that have had their battles over the years in the playoffs as well. Yeah, for sure. A lot of games between them, a lot of history. Obviously, tough to rekindle some of that history when you've got C.J. Bathard on one side. But uh, shout-out to our buddy Mike for setting that up. His uh, connections with the 49ers organization helped facilitate this. So, Got to get on the field at Lambeau, which for me obviously is an absolute dream come true, and uh, it was awesome, man. It was uh, it was everything you expect and more. So big shout out to Mike. But then yeah, then the game got started, and uh, the Packers' defense, as has frequently occurred over the last few years, uh, were major disappointments early. Yeah, really kind of a disappointment throughout the game until the end. But Dan, I mean, you watched this game as well, obviously. Uh, you know, San Francisco. You know, they looked really good for most of this game. C.J. Beathard had a couple long touchdown passes. I mean, he was playing above the skill level that we all thought he had. But what were your thoughts as an outsider watching this game, uh, you know, of, of not only Aaron Rodgers' heroics, but what the, the 49ers were able to do, and nobody really saw that coming? Yeah, I definitely didn't. I mean, when I first clicked over and checked in on the score, I was just as baffled as the rest of, of the world was. I mean, C.J. Beathard... Is doing it. I mean, he has some very nice throws. He's looking like a pretty competent quarterback. Uh, you know, obviously, I don't think that this continues. I think this is one of those things that we've talked a little bit about it. Uh, I think once there's more tape, once defenses can can kind of figure out some tendencies, I think this is going to come to a screeching halt. I know there's a little bit of tape from last year too, but I still think uh, a few more games and the honeymoon's going to come to an end in San Francisco, but at least had to get Niners fans excited for a little bit. And then on the other side, Aaron Rodgers, it, it just looks like sometimes he's playing 
Madden and he's setting a thing on easy mode. I mean, some of those throws, especially that game-winning drive, it looked like he was uh, like one of those National Geographic things where the killer whale is just toying with the seal before he eats it. I mean, some of those some of those throws, uh, just throwing out routes like it, it off the back of his foot. I mean, he's or limping, still hobbling, still doesn't look like he should be able to do it and just goes down and kills the Niners uh, at the end putting together that drive. So shout out to him, and it's uh, it's just him, and then there's everybody else playing quarterback. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really impressive, aren't you? And I want to hear you kind of walk me through that that drive and watching it there live. I mean, you, you have the interception by Bethard. Then Rodgers gets, I don't know what it was, about a minute uh, to, to drive down the field. But just walk me through that drive as a Green Bay Packers fan. I know you were obviously disappointed with their performance for most of this game, but Mason Crosby able to kind of be the hero in this one. But obviously Aaron Rodgers, you know, putting them in that position. And when he when he held up his finger and said one more play when there were six seconds left, I kind of cringed. I was like, he knows something we all don't. Uh, was really hoping he landed that pass to Devontae Adams. But oh, just yeah. walk me through that drive as a fan. You and me both. Well, I'll I'll tell you, you know, this all got started because really, you know, they, the Packers finally closed them out two drives there at the end. The Packers are down 30 to 23 there late in the game. They come down, score a touchdown, Adams, uh, as you mentioned. And then, you know, they get the big three and out. And so they're, they're tied at 30, 30, or no, it was 30, 23. Yeah. The, the Niners are driving. They get a penalty. Um, on the Packers on a on the kick return, um, and then they get the ball right around midfield. They hit a pass. They're down at the Packers, you know, just across midfield. Have a second and two. It looks like you know there's like a minute and a half left. I think at that point, looks like they're gonna you know all they need to do is get a first down. Then they can milk the clock and get a Robbie Gold field goal and get out of there with the win. But for some reason, on second and two, they uh, they run the ball. I believe they don't get the pass or they throw, and I think Nick Perry knocked it down. Then they have third and two, and Beathard drops back, throws a long play. Packers run a zero blitz, so there's no safeties up top. So the, the right call there is to, to throw deep on the Packers on one-on-one coverage. So it's effectively a punt at that point. Kevin King comes down with the pick at their own 10, and then, like you said, it's just it's Rodgers' time, right? Like there's a minute left. doesn't matter that there's no timeouts. It's way too much time for him. Um, obviously picks them apart. I do not know for the life of me with no timeouts – how the Niners don't have the like the the sidelines covered, like they have no timeouts. There's really only time for like you know two or three plays, with, given that scenario. So um, actually, Roger said after the game, I rewatched uh, the very end, and Roger said after the game they were planning on just running into overtime, right? But on the first play, time Montgomery, Montgomery. yep. Yeah, he breaks off like a 20-yard run, and uh, and then they decide to go get going from there. And so, like you said, they set it up for Mason. I love that call to go for one last one on the end. I, I think that that was premeditated. Like, he basically, there were six seconds left. He didn't want to leave one second on the clock for their defense to choke again. So I think, I think his plan all along was take two seconds, chuck it out of bounds, and uh, let Mason decide it on his own, which is awesome, obviously. Very cool to see the emotion on Mason's face there at the end. And, uh, you know, all's forgiven. As much as he lost last week's game, I think he he and Rodgers basically single-handedly won this one. So pretty cool one to be at, for sure. 
Yeah, you mentioned the emotion on Mason Crosby's face. I mean, it's the exact opposite watching Aaron Rodgers. I mean, he is extremely stoic throughout the game, and then every now and then he'll make a smirk to the sidelines whenever he makes a good play, like, 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 oh, like tongue in cheek, like, like, how did I just do that? It's it, it's yeah. amazing to see his confidence as the game goes on when a lot of quarterbacks kind of buckle under pressure, like I don't know Andy Dalton, Baker Mayfield, <laughs> uh, any of our other teams. But it, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be fun to see where this Packers team goes. I, I will say it was it was a difficult uh, game to watch for their offensive line. It was even harder to watch for their so for their bad. defense, especially their run defense against a, a, a kind of a beat up Matt Breda and then uh, Raheem Mostert, who went undrafted, I believe, out of Purdue, if I'm not mistaken, a That's few right. years back. So uh, they 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 were able to kind of do it uh, on the ground. So I, I've got to ask, and we'll we'll hear Dan's thoughts on this as well. But Anshu, what are your thoughts on this Green Bay Packers team moving forward? They improved to three, two, and one. They're in position, you know, to make a run at this division. But their defense is really going to have to step up if they're going to be a contender this year. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I you know, a win's a win, but I firmly believe that you got to put away teams like this at home. I mean, the Niners are playing their backup quarterback, like you said. Matt Frieda's banged up, and he just ran all over them. Um, the Packers didn't have a couple of their big players, Randall Cobb, Jerome Miles, and Jair Alexander, maybe their best corner there. Um, but, the, you know, there's no excuse for what happened there defensively. And, you know, no rest for the weary. They have a bye, and then they go to the Rams, to the Patriots. <laughs> About as tough of a back-to-back stretch as you can get. Then they get Miami at home before they go to Seattle. So, I mean, they have to come out of those four games at 2-2, two and two, I would say, to even – have hope but you know this division luckily not getting away from them the bears find a way to bears it up there this weekend against the dolphins and you know the vikings have been so inconsistent i know dan talked a lot about it on our sunday show so um you know i, I you always have a chance with rogers as you were alluding to but i'm not i'm not super high on this particular team we'll have to see they'll, they'll definitely need a big turnaround i think yeah, and Dan, the Niners appear to be dead at this point. Obviously, you know, it was it was nice to see them, you know, be able to put up a fight here and almost pull one off, steal one on the road, you could say. But what are your thoughts? I mean, do you do you think this Green Bay team can make some noise in a, a pretty crowded NFC, especially up there at the top? Yeah, I don't think it's smart to bet against Aaron Rodgers at any point, uh, even though he's probably – at 75% healthy, he's still better than just about everybody else, even at, at 75%. As Anshu mentioned, they have a tough schedule coming up. Uh, and then on the flip side of that, the Bears don't have that. So they, they have to go play the Patriots. But after that, uh, they get the Jets, the Bills, the Lions, and then the Vikings. So I think the Bears are really the team that we're going to really see what they're made of over these next four games. They should, or five games, I should say, uh, you know, if the bears can, can win three or four out of those, uh, I think it actually will be the bears division to lose going forward. You guys mentioned it. I mean, that Packers offensive line uh, is, is not going to be able to, to keep this team in stuff. I mean, they were getting at Aaron Rodgers, uh, and every hit Aaron Rodgers takes, you saw it last week. I mean, there's you're holding your breath, especially if you're a Packers fan. I mean, he landed on his he landed on his knee uh, on one of those and kind of hobbled up. This offensive line is is going to get Aaron Rodgers hurt uh, sooner rather than later at night, and I hate to see that for Anshu and for our Packers fans out there. But it's going to be tough if they can't keep Rodgers on his feet. Yeah, they, his hand hit a helmet at one point in the game too, and it looked like you know didn't know if he'd be able to throw a ball, and he just kept he just keeps coming back out there and and, and doing what he does, and it's. 
you know, I've I've grown to really appreciate and respect uh, Aaron Rodgers over the years, and it's it's pretty amazing to see what he can do, especially with you know mostly what, like the the receivers he's throwing to last night are you know you've got two or three rookies out there that are making huge catches at, at opportune times, and that just you're going to breathe confidence into the life of a team when you have a quarterback that's playing at that high of a level. So. Cheers to you, Anchu. That was pretty fun to watch. Uh, you know, I've got your boy on my fantasy team, so I'm always happy to see him. And I know a lot of people care about who I have on my fantasy team, so I definitely <laughs> wanted to throw that in there. Um, but let's let's shift things over to the baseball world, which I know you guys have been keeping a close eye on. It looked like uh, there was a photographer that had a close eye on some things here in Game 1 of the Astros-Red Sox series. So, Dan, why don't you walk me through uh, the Astros team that, uh, you know, I know knocked out your boys, but now you have maybe a little ammo to, to, to snap back at them with. So why don't you walk us through this, this little incident that took place? Yeah, so it turns out that a, a member of the Astros staff was down uh, in the the media credential area uh, next to the Red Sox dugout uh, during yesterday's game. He got kicked out at some point when someone noticed that he was sitting there uh, with it, texting furiously, recording uh, videos, and he didn't have the proper credentials to be down there. Eventually gets kicked out, and uh, it, the interesting part is the Red Sox staff was tipped off on this uh, by someone who noticed something fishy going on in the Indian series as well with, with somebody being down there and, and looking suspicious. So turns out the whole uh, if you see something, say something doesn't apply to just airports. It's now uh, professional <laughs> baseball games too. So it, it's, it stings as an Indians fan. I know this is not one of those things – I mean – some guy recording signals is not going to affect that Alex Bregman was just hitting 500-foot bombs off every pitcher we put up there. So, I mean, I don't think it cost the Indians the series by any mean, but, uh, you know, in, in a series that's probably going to go seven games with the Red Sox, who knows? Any little advantage can swing something. I, I question exactly how effective something like that could be. I, I mean, Major League Baseball teams are smart enough to be switching signs up and and, and not letting things stay consistent from game to game. Uh, theoretically smart enough to at least and you know in the process of a game I don't know how quickly you could possibly get okay you see a sign you text somebody they relay that to the batter I mean the the amount of time that that would take to effectively get anything to to a batter to a runner just doesn't seem like it would really be doing much Uh, but but inning to inning it could so uh, you know this is this is one of those things that I'd be interested to see exactly what comes out if anything there of, of what was being recorded or what was being relayed, but just an absolutely wild story. And uh, I think, uh, you know, sometimes people will talk about this. I'm all for if you can steal a sign just with your naked eye, you can do that. I think that's all part of baseball. Once you start using technology to to try to steal signs is where, for me, it gets over the line uh, and, and you're breaking, you know, if not the, the actual rules of baseball, but the the unwritten rules. That's fair. I, I would, let's let's talk about the game, Anshu. So obviously there was no signals that had an effect on today's game as Boston's able to take the two-one lead. Uh, Jackie Bradley Jr. hits a grand slam to kind of push this one uh, away from the Astros, but they are now up two-one in this series. And I guess the big question here is, what's Chris Sale's health going to be like for Game Five? Is he going to be out there? Uh, he's dealing with a stomach issue, um, so you know, let's let's assume Sale is out there and he's as healthy as can be. Uh, I mean, does Boston run away with this series, or do you agree with Dan that this one could go seven? 
Yeah, I mean, I I think it could go seven for sure. I, you know, I think that the Astros are the better team, but the way that Boston has hit the ball around this series has been really impressive. Um, you know, they're they're they won 108 games for a reason, and they wiped away the Yankees, who were really looking good, like a juggernaut, really for for a reason. I mean, the the top six hitters in their lineup are all just awesome on an every night basis, uh, especially against lefties. So it's going to be tough, but. You know, Boston's basically decided they're not going to let Alex Bregman beat him. I mean, even though Bregman goes two of three today, they're giving him junk, and uh, he hadn't done anything with it until uh, game three here. But, you know, I mean, Astros, absolute must win here in game four with or without. I mean, really, the Red Sox could afford to not even throw sale game five if they don't need him, if they don't feel like he's, you know, up to 100%. If they steal both these games at Houston, it's all over. I mean, they're going home, and they're probably closing this thing out. So Astros facing an absolute must-win in Game 4, and um, it'll be interesting to see what they do. I think that they're probably headed for a bullpen day, if I'm not mistaken, here in Game 4. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what they uh, what they do here in Game Four because, like you said, if they if they can pull one off there, it's uh, it's going to look bleak for the Astros. And I, I think all of us had talked about hoping, at least hoping, but kind of thinking that things were pointing toward a Milwaukee Houston World Series. And now, you know, Milwaukee's still up two one, but LA's jumped out to an early lead in this one. Are you guys still feeling pretty confident that Milwaukee has enough to pull this off? I know they've been the hot team in these playoffs, but the Dodgers, obviously, if they're starting pitching. You know, can can hold this Brewers offense at bay. You've got to think that uh, LA walks away with this one. Uh, I mean, aren't you? What are your thoughts on this series as as LA maybe has an opportunity to to tie things up here? It's been such an interesting series. I, I mean, it is straight. Just we talked about it Sunday. It's basically just been you know guile and random pitchers and you know a lot of bullpen days and you know the the. Brewers have just been a little more timely and they've been more random like Orlando Arsha hits the home run yesterday in game three and just a crazy finish a crazy game in general and I just feel like it's a lot it's been so hard for both teams to generate anything but you're right like I mean Clayton Kershaw is going to go game four or uh, game five sorry and you know that's pretty much going to I think pivot the series uh, obviously Brewers up to one I, I like you said Dodgers are up here in game four um, you know, it's 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 just such a fascinating series because there's such contrast in styles. Like the the Dodgers want to, you know, rely on their ace pitching, and the Brewers are just saying, "Screw it, we'll throw whoever we can get outs from, and whoever can get a clutch hit for us at any given moment." And it's just been, you know, Craig Council's just pushing all the right buttons. I, I do think that the Brewers are going to pull this off. I think we're going to see now Boston against Milwaukee. Although I, I do think the AL series is going seven. Wow, a little slight shift there. Dan, do you agree? Yeah, I mean, uh, for different reasons a little bit. Uh, we talked a little bit on the last a uh, couple episodes ago, and I said, I think Milwaukee's run is coming to an end. I said, at this point in the season, the better baseball team is going to is gonna just win, and that's the Dodgers, the on-paper better baseball team. And, and I'm officially switching that. I think there's some weird magic, there's some weird mojo going on uh, with this Brewers team that I'm no longer going to bet against. And I think baseball more than other sports, there's something to be said for that. Just that the weird thing that's clicking, that weird mojo when all the pieces fall into place at just the right time, uh, because it's a game that you need, like Anshu said, you got guys coming in at all parts of the lineup for the Brewers. It's a little bit unlike, you know, the NBA or the NFL where your superstars are always going to have the ball. They're always going to have a chance, right? Aaron Rodgers is always going to have the chance to make that last play. But if, if you're a you know professional baseball, 
the your your best hitter is not always going to be up there, right? It's sometimes you have to have the nine hitter get a game winning hit, and that extra little magic. I think it's got it's going on with the Brewers, and just from how their their bullpen has just been absolutely unreal and lines up really well. I, I mean, Josh, they only had to use Josh Hader yesterday for I think it was like eight pitches or so. You know, just seeing a couple outs, and and then from a managerial standpoint, just a great decision. You were going to let him roll out. Uh, for that ninth inning too, and then said, "Screw it, we got guys on base. I think we're going to be fine. Uh, let's pull them and save them for if you need them tonight." And this looks like it's going to be a close game tonight, and they may end up needing him. Uh, so, like Auntie mentioned, just pulling all the right buttons at the exact right time, and uh, this team is just clicking on all cylinders at the right time. And I'm looking forward to it. I, I agree with Auntie. I think the Brewers win the series. Wow. So, yeah, we're going to know soon enough. I mean, there's just a couple games before, obviously, these uh, these are the um, NLCS and the ALCS are over, and we're going we're gonna to have an eye on that World Series here very, very soon. Uh, we had another league start tonight. The NBA is underway. The Celtics win the first game of the NBA season. They go up uh, over against the 76ers, I should say. Obviously, these are two teams on you that have been looked at as potential leaders in the East now with LeBron heading out to the L.A. Lakers. Uh, I don't think we're going to see round five of the Warriors Cavaliers this year, unfortunately. But uh, this Celtics team was pretty impressive tonight, and they did, they they did it really as a team. There wasn't, you know, obviously uh, they had a couple guys stand out in this one, but they really they really provide a team effort here to pull off the huge win against the Sixers. How impressed were you by the, what Boston was able to do here in Game One of the NBA season? I mean. Honestly, it just felt like what you expect out of Boston all year. Like the, it was so balanced. They had what one, two, three, four, five. I mean, Tatum has guys. a good game, but yeah, I mean, it was their their whole team is really putting up an effort here. Yeah, they had nine guys play nineteen minutes. I, like I know that they end up running away with it, but you know, Gordon Hayward's probably going to end up playing more down the line. Kyrie Irving has an absolutely horrible game, statistically speaking. But, you know, generally speaking, the Celtics are going to win a ton of games because they can come at you with two, basically two entire lineups. And over an 82-game season, that's going to do well. And really, when you think of that second lineup, all those guys played huge minutes in the playoffs last year, huge important minutes. And, uh, you know, that obviously that experience is going to serve them really well. So, you know, when you compare the Celtics to the Sixers, I think they are just complete contrast. Like, you've got a team that's super deep, super, you know, they've got a ton of good players, and you've got the Sixers that are essentially two players and a three or four good role players, and then a bunch of, you know, we'll see what happens, guys. So, I, I mean, I think Boston is clearly better than Philly in the East, and uh, it's going to be tough to knock them off uh, as the one seed in the East, I think, this year. Yeah, I, I have to agree with you, unfortunately, that uh, that Boston, it looks like they're the favorite. The other game that was uh, going to be happening tonight, Golden State takes on the Oklahoma City Thunder. This one was really kind of brought down a peg or two because Russell Westbrook isn't going to be playing in this one. Uh, Dan, I mean, obviously Golden State, they add Boogie Cousins, who will uh, trying to get back from injury. We'll see him at some point this season, but... Obviously, Golden State's still the favorite in the West, but there have been some teams that made some moves to get a little bit better. I mean, it, it, as far as a storyline goes, is, is there really any reason to even watch the West aside from LeBron being there now? Absolutely not. Uh, but that <laughs> that doesn't really give us much to talk about over the next six months or so. Uh, but I, I think the an interesting storyline is just can Houston – repeat the regular season that they had last year uh, i mean obviously they don't get to where they needed to go you know come playoff time but if they can even possibly come anywhere close to what they did 
last year. And I think, uh, you know, we'll see in a team that, I mean, you, Don't you talked a lot last year about this Nuggets team. Uh, can they take the next step and get to uh, in, um, at least a more of an interesting uh, playoff race there? So I think that's a, a couple interesting things to watch. I mean, other than that, Let's be real. There's there's no chance the Golden State Warriors don't run away with this thing. Yeah, unfortunately, I agree with you. But, Anshu, we talked a lot about this rookie class leading up to the draft and after the draft, obviously. Uh, what rookies are you looking out for here this season? Because, obviously, with such top-heavy East and Western conferences, we're going to be trying to look for something to keep us company and keep us busy throughout the season. And for me, it's obviously Colin Sexton. But what rookies are you looking for uh, here as we look toward this this early season? Yeah, I mean, I think you got to look at the high volume guys when you're thinking about rookie of the year specifically. I think Sexton is is someone that's going to play a ton, obviously, your boy, and uh, and I expect him to play really. Well. Uh, you know, Luka Doncic, I believe, is the favorite in Vegas to win the rookie of the year, as he should be. He's expected to start. He's going to play a lot. Rick Carlisle already sees him uh, doing a lot of work in that backcourt with Dennis Smith Jr., so that should be pretty fun. I, I, you know, I like Trey Young. I think Trey Young's going to get a lot of burn on a really bad Atlanta team, so that could be fun. Um, I think that uh, you know, you go on down the line. DeAndre Ayton is, I think, second in Rookie of the Year voting right now. Or is like in Vegas, he's the second favorite. He'll be a, a huge name to watch. Wendell Carter, people like him, not me as much, but other people seem to. So <laughs> I think it's going to be really it's it's the rookie class is going to be really good. And and you know last year's rookie class was obviously one of the best we've seen in the last probably twenty five years. So uh, you know it's tough to make an encore, but I really do like this group, and uh, I, I think there's a lot of a lot of fun players that are going to be entering the league here this year. Yeah, this is the first time in a long time I'm more excited for the means than the end because, you know, I've been looking forward to the Cavs, you know, potentially playing in the finals every year for the last however many years LeBron was back, I guess four. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, it's pretty depressing to think about the end of the season we're probably going to see Boston and Golden State. And, you know, for at least for me, I don't know if you agree, Dan, as a, as a Cavs fan, I can't stand either of those teams. And if that happens, I won't – I literally won't be watching any of it. But the other part of me is saying – you know, I'm going to get NBA League Pass so I could watch Colin Sexton grow up as a point guard. So it's it's fun in that regard, and I get to be on that side of it that Anshu and I talk about all the time. You know, where do you want your team to be? If you're the Cavs, do you want them to be an eight seed, or do you want them to get a higher draft pick? And for me, I, I want them to be competitive. I think they still have the potential to do so. And even though that Eastern Conference is top-heavy, I think they could at least make the playoffs. Uh, I mean, Dan, do you think this Cleveland team should should go for it and try to compete, uh, it's, which it sounds like they're obviously wanting to do by bringing in some of the guys that they did? Or do you think they should you know, get to tank mode, or do you think it's a more of a wait-and-see? No, I mean, I think it's a comparable to one of your other teams, or the Chicago White Sox. I think it's time – that you see what your young kids can do, turn them loose, and and you try to go win some basketball games and recreate, or maybe not recreate, but uh, continue a winning atmosphere in Cleveland. There is still a lot of momentum. I mean, you do have talented young guys. The I don't know if you watched any of the Larry Nance junior presser uh, from him officially signing the extension, and he he made the comment of you know I'm I'm the only person from LA who vacations and who wanted a vacation in Cleveland. I'm a Cleveland kid at heart. I'm just like you guys on some level. This is going to sound like a very weird take from anybody who uh, maybe is new to the show, but you and I've had a lot of conf- you know, conflict in our hearts about rooting for LeBron James, just how much of a 
loser he is off the court and how much we can't stand him as heel. a as a, a heel. person in a lot in a lot of yeah but so and like so on some level i'm more excited about this cap season than i have been in a long time because it's it's kind of fun right you have some new blood you have you mentioned sex and uh larry nance you have some guys that are a lot easier of a root for than lebron james and so it's i'm looking forward to it from that perspective it's it seems like more of a cleveland team aren't you i know has talked about this before uh you know offline we've talked about this right the Browns and the Indians are always more my Cleveland team because they feel like that. They're built from within that. Uh, and the Cavs never really felt like with bringing LeBron, LeBron James back and, and the kind of hoopla around it. So uh, I'm really excited. Like I said, this is going to be the, one of the most fun Cavs seasons in a while for me, just watching guys grow up. And no, we're not going to win an NBA championship, but I think starting to put those pieces in place for a run in a few years is, is really important. I, I like it. I, I good take. I, I really agree with you here. I think it's going to be a fun season, and uh, I'm excited for it from that perspective. But like I said, the end of the season, I just it's going to be absolutely terrible, and I, I don't think I'll be watching too many playoff games unless the Cavs do have a one series in there somewhere. Uh, but guys, go we, Pelicans. Yeah, go Pelicans. But we do, we do. Yeah, Anthony Davis probably won't be there too much longer, so you probably won't want to pick them in too many more playoff series. So. <laughs> but uh, you did do it right once, so we'll give you the credit there. Uh, but we do have to get to our oh by the ways. I guess I'll start because mine's pretty weak. But uh, the Falcons have some more bad news. They have to put uh, Devontae Freeman on the IR. Uh, you know, he's been nursing a foot injury, has a groin injury. It sounds like he's going to have to have some surgery on his groin perhaps, but uh, he's hopeful to, to get back at some point this season. I think it's fair to say the Falcons are officially dead, at least for this season, because that team is just, they've, they've had so many injuries that they've been fighting through. Uh, Anshu, we'll go with you next. What do you have for us? Yeah, that's, that team's just got something in the water there. But, um, you know, I thought a huge story today was uh, Nick Bosa, the defensive end that's been out for the entire season for Ohio State, presumptive number one pick in next year's NFL draft decides that he is now just going to quit school, not just quit the team, not just not come back to Ohio State's football team, but quit school to focus completely on the combine and uh, the draft process. And I think this is an extremely interesting and dangerous, frankly, precedent to be setting. Um, I, you know, I respect him. It's 100% within his rights. It's nice to see the athletes take back some of the power that they've lost at the collegiate level by the corrupt NCAA. But you know, it, it's who's I, this could be a really slippery slope. Like who's to say that, you know, this won't happen every year now with, with potential play. I mean, look, this is an Ohio state team that's undefeated. That has a very, very good chance of making the playoff. And this is, you know, this case is, it's one of a kind. We've never seen this before. It's not like they've lost a couple and he has nothing to come back and play for. This is a guy that, you know, it could potentially be the difference between Ohio state winning a national title and not, and, um, you know, I, I just think that this is a huge, huge story. And, um, you know, I, more power to him. But, you know, Josh, I know we've talked about it in the past and you have not liked the idea of this happening. But especially with running backs, like there's very little to be gained towards the second half of a season. I think this is crossing the line personally because this team, the team that he enrolled for, had a chance at the national title. I think he owes it to them, in, in my opinion, to do that. But it is within his rights, and uh, it's really, really a dangerous precedent, I think. You know, it is. Hey, Andrew, I, I, got a question. I got a question for you. So 
you mentioned chance of the national title. Do you think this is where the lack of parity and just Alabama being so good is bad for college football? I mean, if you're Bosa, you're looking around and going, yeah, technically we have a shot at a national championship, but there's no chance anybody beating Bama. Screw it. I'm not going to get hurt. I'm going to go make my money because it's not like I'm foregoing a ring for it because we have no shot to beat Bama. No, I, I don't. I don't. There's no way he believes that. Yeah, he wouldn't believe that. He's he's they're too good. He's way too good. He might be the best player in the country. So, you know, when you're that good, you I think you just assume you're the best and you're, you know, that you can beat anyone any day. But I do think that that would be the case. That's the problem with college football, generally speaking. And that's going to be the issue going forward with guys like Clowney and, you know, others that have basically said, screw it. We're not like Christian McCaffrey. Right. Like he didn't have a chance at a national title. So he basically went and said, I, I, I have, I'm not going to do it. And that's just the way that NCAA is. But the fact that this is a team that does have a chance, a very good chance at making the playoff, um, it just fascinates me that this is happening. But, Josh, I, I feel like you've got something to say here. No, I just, it's fun because we talked about this last year at bowl time, like you mentioned with McCaffrey, and it was a lot of the running backs that were deciding to opt out of playing in their bowls. And we, you know, we, we talked through it, and, and you kind of convinced me that, you know, they're, they have their right and that, you know, it shouldn't be something that we should scoff at. And with this, I, I didn't even, you know, I see the story and I, you know, obviously he's leaving and, and kind of looking toward the draft, but I didn't even think about the aftermath that could come from this and, and you know, players that do get hurt early in the season completely foregoing the rest of the season. And that's just, that's kind of a, like you said, I think that is a very slippery slope and it's kind of scary for college football at large because, you know, you mentioned Dan, the parody in college football and, you know, there, there are only a few really, really good teams, and Alabama is perennially one of them, and so is Ohio State. But, you know, it seems like there's a bit of a gap between those guys and, and some of the other power programs out there. And I don't think that's necessarily great for the game when you have the same few teams being in the, in the playoff every single year. But it, it, it's definitely an interesting conversation, and one we'll have to save for another show for sure later in the year. But, uh, Dan, what do you have for us before we uh, let our listeners get back to their Wednesday? You mentioned Clayton Kershaw earlier today. We talked about him. He'll get another big start here before we uh, record next. But I saw a crazy stat today that I wanted to share with you all. If Madison Bumgarner gave up 23 earned runs without getting an out, he would still have a lower postseason ERA than Clayton Kershaw. Wow. So let, let that sink in. Just, and that's not even saying how bad Clayton Kershaw has been in some playoff series. That is just a testament to how unbelievably phenomenal Madison Bumgarner was in every playoff start he's ever had. That's ridiculous, yeah. Because Kershaw's not been that bad. Like he's, he's definitely been worse in his playoff starts than he has for his regular season sample. But, man, that's, that's insane. That is a real testament to Bumgarner. That is a wild stat. Anything for either of you guys for the good of the group before we uh, close it out? I take that as a no. For Anchu Kana and Dan Bauer, I'm Josh Dunn. This has been The Leftovers.